God. So this week we're going to we're going to focus on doing the will of God and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 which is a chapter mostly about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This text is probably the best uh, verse I know to preach on the week after Easter. This is the best post Easter message that I know to preach on. So what do we do now that Jesus is risen, right? What do we do? We we really believe that stuff believe that our Lord and Savior conquered the grave for us. So how are we to live now? How should that affect not only what we believe, but also how we live our lives? Amen. So let's pray and we'll, we'll jump into the word here. Father, thank you so much for your people. Thank you for your inspired word and the work of your spirit to open our eyes to see truth to see what's right and what's good. And this morning, as we open up your word, as we look at truth from your scripture, I pray, God, that you speak to each of our hearts and that you would move us on to onto your agenda. Not our will, but your will be done. And may we give ourselves fully to do your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to hone in on one verse today, 1 Corinthians 15:58. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen? So here's the big idea. Here's where we're going with this. God calls his people to faithfully and increasingly partner with him in his meaningful work in the world. God calls us to faith, his people, to faithfully and increasingly partner with him in his meaningful work in the world. So first of all, I want to point out in this verse, I want to point out the word therefore. So whenever you see that in the Bible, as I often say, you want to go back and look and see what it's there for. Because there's a reason that that therefore is there. Okay. And the reason is, is everything that the Apostle Paul already said, he was defending the resurrection. He was he was giving reason for the Christians to believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that we too who believe in him will rise with him. So this therefore is huge. Okay, so the the first thing I want to point out is, is simply this, is that the gospel is the basis for doing the work of the Lord. Every Christian is called to do the work of the Lord. This is not just uh, something that pastors do or missionaries do. Uh, this is something that every Christian is, is called to do. The Apostle Paul, by the way, this letter was not written to Pastor Timothy. It's not a 1st Timothy or 2nd Timothy. This, what's, the book, what's this book called? Corinthians. 1st Corinthians. Okay, and the, the Corinthians were church folks. And they were church folks who certainly weren't perfect because they had a lot of issues. All right. They had a lot of issues. The Apostle Paul had to address some of those issues within the book of first Corinthians. And so one of the things that the Apostle Paul did in Corinthians was he helped get them center on what matters most when it comes to Christianity, namely the gospel. First Corinthians 15 and love. 
1 Corinthians 13. Paul devoted a whole chapter to the Corinthians on chapter 15 to help get them centered on the gospel so that they would be a gospel-centered church. Okay? Paul devoted a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 on love so that they would be a church filled with love. He was trying to let them know not to major on the minors. Major on the majors when it comes to Christianity. Don't major on the minors. And one of the majors for us as Christians is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, so let's go back there. Let's look at some of, of what Paul started to dig into in chapter 15, starting in verse 1. He said this. He said, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance... Okay, here's a major. This is major. This is first importance. This is what this was when I preached. This is what I was most importantly talking about in my message. Paul saying I delivered you uh, as a first importance. What I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the gospel is, based on these verses here, the gospel is what? The message of Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection. And we are all about that here at City Church. You are going to hear that message probably in every worship set. You're going to hear that message. Okay? Uh, You're going to hear that message in, in each sermon. There's going to be some kind of connection to the gospel and how it affects us and and. And whatever we're focused on, we're going to focus on that message. We're going to point to this message. The gospel is the basis for doing the work of the Lord. Okay? This is huge. Because a lot of young Christians, they, they, they come to Christ and they get excited about doing stuff for God, doing work for God, when they haven't yet really received and, and understood the work that was done for them. Okay? So this is huge. We our our work, our labor in the Lord needs to be based off of what Christ has done. That's the foundation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation of why we do what we do. We belong to God. First Corinthians uh, six twenty says this. It says, "You've been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body and your spirit, which are God's." So you belong to God. Christ died for you. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. That's the gospel. And, and last week we celebrated that explicitly in, in Resurrection Day. We celebrated the truth that Jesus is alive. Okay? So throughout this chapter, the Apostle Paul says, you know, if, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if there's no resurrection, Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we won't be raised from the dead. Everything that we're doing as Christians is vain. And he said this, he said, Christians are the most pitiful people on the face of the earth. If there's no resurrection, if there's no resurrection, Christians are the most pitiful people on the face of the earth. But if there is a resurrection, if there truly is a resurrection, if one day you're going to get a new body with no disease, no decay, no dandruff, Okay, no achy joints and and body parts. You're going to get a glorified body one day. You're going to be resurrected because Jesus was resurrected and you will have a body that will no longer corrupt and fall apart. If that's true, 
then what we do as Christians doing the work of the Lord is certainly not in vain. It is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And so the gospel is the basis for our work in the Lord. Jesus, before he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. Jesus accomplished the work that the Father sent him to do. He finished the work. And our work, everything that we do is built on that foundation. We don't work for our salvation. Jesus is our salvation. And what he's done accomplishes our salvation. And many folks kind of get this Get this twisted. They feel like they have to work, 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 work so that God will show them favor and, and, and so that they can get closer to God. And, and instead of working from that foundation and on that foundation, many folks try to work to build their own foundation, which is, is, is a faulty foundation. The Apostle Paul was calling the Corinthian church back to the gospel, trying to center them on the basic gospel Message. This is really good news when we let it sink in. When we believe it and we let it sink in, it changes our lives. It's powerful. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. So there is this mighty therefore at the very beginning of this verse. And the therefore is based, it, it hinges on, it's one of the greatest therefores I know of in the Bible. Okay. Uh, it hinges all on the fact that Jesus died. He was buried and raised from the dead. He conquered death for you and I. The sting of death is gone. So that, therefore, is huge. So the gospel's the basis of our labor in the Lord. There's a, a, a pastor who says this. He says, how can you come to grips with someone who has given you himself utterly? How can you come to grips with someone who has given himself utterly for you, Without you giving yourself utterly for him. When we look at the great sacrifice of the cross and what Christ has done for us, how can we not respond in giving ourselves fully to God? So Christ wins our hearts through the gospel. He saves us through the gospel. Our faith is built on this. So this is foundational. Okay, this is simple, simple truth. But I want to make sure everybody here gets this. The gospel is the foundation for our labor. Okay, so th that's why what we do as Christians is not in vain. The work that we do in the Lord is not in vain. The next thing is, is that the love of God is the motivation for doing the work of the Lord. The love of God is what fuels us to do the work of the Lord. But look at this first uh, phrase that, or this, this term that Paul uh, calls the Corinthians. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, you're included in there. Okay. Just so when he, when he says my brothers, you know, just think the church. Okay. That's brothers and sisters. Okay. Therefore, my beloved brothers, uh, that is a term of endearment of affection. The Corinthians had become saints. They were forgiven of their sins and washed clean. The scripture tells us in chapter six. They were new creations. Uh, those who are in Christ Jesus are new creations. And they were loved of God. And this is huge that, that a Christian get this and understand this and that this be the drive for their labor instead of trying to do what they do not out of love. Love should fuel everything that we do. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, Paul says, Let all that you do be done in... In love, 
Let everything you do in our vision statement here at City Church, one, the, the middle part, the second thing is to love people. Know Jesus, love people, and impact your world. Paul, as I mentioned earlier, devoted a whole chapter to talking about what love is and describing what love is. And he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. How many of you got kids that will take pots and pans or, or something noisy and just bang it and make some noise? And how pleasant is that sound to your ears when your kids do that? And you're trying to focus on responding to an email. And you're trying, you're trying to do something where you need to think, and all you hear is this clanging cymbal. Okay? A clanging cymbal, a gong or a clanging cymbal is annoying. Uh, so Paul says that's what those people without love, that's what they're like. They're like a clanging cymbal. They're annoying. <laughs> they're, they're like a clanging cymbal. He says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries of, and all knowledge, and if I uh, have all faith so as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give all away, all I have away, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. You know, it's possible to give, give to people without loving them, really. We can, we can give with a hook back to us. But it's not, it's not possible to love without giving because love will give. Love will build up. Love will give out and serve. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ controls us. Or another version says compels us. So it's, it's God's love that motivates and fuels the Christian to do the work of the Lord. The gospel is the basis for doing the work of the Lord and the love of Christ is the motivation, is the drive. The gospel is the basis. The love is the motivation. I think it's important, by the way, before we have that love to give out, we first got to receive it. We first have to receive the love that God has for us. God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place. And the love of God's manifested in the gospel, in Christ's death for us. He went to the cross for us. And we first received that. Okay? We love him because he first loved us. We first received that love and we respond in love towards God and towards people. In the Corinthian church, what happened was these guys were, this was a charismatic church. Okay? This was kind of like a, a Pentecostal church in their day. They were very charismatic. And Paul affirmed these guys. He affirmed them in their charisma and their, their spiritual gift. That's good. Spiritual gifts are good. Use them. But one of the things that was happening was spiritual gifts were being used as a display to show how awesome they were. Look at me. I'm so cool because I can prophesy. Look at me. I'm so cool because I can speak in tongues. Everybody listen. And yet that wasn't helping anybody else in the service. But, but that person doing it looked pretty spiritual. So it was like a stroke of his or her ego because of how spiritual they were when they prayed so passionately like that, right? And so, so Paul was bringing them back to the gospel, like don't major on what, what's not a major. Spiritual gifts are not a major when it comes to the Christian faith. They're important, but they're not of first importance. 
So in chapter 12 and chapter 14, Paul talks about spiritual gifts. He teaches them about spiritual gifts. And Paul's like, hey, I speak in tongues more than all you guys. You know, prophecy, every, anybody can, pro, any Christian can prophesy. And he says, hey, pursue those things. Don't stop Christians from doing those things. But when you do those things, when you're using your gifts, make sure you're using them to build up to bot, the body of Christ. Not to show, show everybody how awesome you are. He says in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 8, he says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You know, so he's just like correcting these guys left, after, left and right. You know, there's, there's immorality in the church, so they're, they're very charismatic, but yet there's, there's rampant sexual immorality in the church. And Paul's like, this is, this is wrong. You, you know, you're, you're over here speaking in tongues and praising the Lord on Sunday, but then you're sleeping with your, 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 your stepmom. I mean, and, and the church isn't doing anything about it. That was happening in this church. This was a messy church. Okay, so Paul, like, he addressed this stuff. And he brought them back to the gospel and how, how, how they were to live as Christians. And he brought them back to love. Love was to be the motivation of all that they did. Love should drive us. If we can have the best gifts, we can sing the best, we could, we could be the best teacher and be able to break down theology and, and just break it down right on, but then be proud and arrogant and unloving with how we, how we use our giftings. And, and Paul says all that profits nothing. Big deal. If you're going to do work in the Lord, if you're going to do work in the Lord, it has to be motivated by love. It has to be uh, built on the foundation. It has to flow from the foundation of the gospel, motivated by love and energized by grace. Energized by God's grace. First Corinthians fifteen ten. So in in the middle of this, Paul of this chapter, Paul makes this statement. I love this verse. I, I just I go back to it. I think it's an awesome verse. Paul says, "But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of those other guys." Okay, he's not boasting here. Because look what he does. He says, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Notice how Paul is describing God's grace. Now, most of the other places we see God's grace referred to as like a uh, undeserved favor and blessing. But here in some other places, Paul describes grace as this force or this power working in his life or in the lives of the believers or the apostles, uh, you know, uh, there was great, in, I think it's Acts 4, there was great grace upon the apostles. And so the Bible describes grace in, in Paul and, and Luke, you know, not only undeserved favor and blessing, but this, this force, this power to do what God's called us to do, to be who God's called us to be and do what God's called us to do. Second Corinthians 12, when Paul had this thorn in his flesh, he prayed to the Lord, and he didn't, get, he didn't get his prayer answered. He didn't get what he was asking for. He, three times he pleaded with the Lord, Lord, take, remove this. And the Lord, you know what Jesus said? My grace is sufficient. My strength is made perfect in weakness, or my power. My grace is sufficient, comma. My power or strength is made perfect in your weakness. So my grace is enough for you to be who I've called you to be and do what I've called you to do. Paul, I'm not going to remove that thorn from your flesh. You, by grace, can do what I've called you to do with it. 
That's a tough word. That's a, but it's also a comforting word. It's a comforting word where Paul had to embrace his limits and embrace his need for God. You see, we all need God. We can't do anything apart from him. We need his grace to be who he's called us to be and to do what he's called us to do. You know, this verse, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This sounds like a recipe for burnout for some people. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Like keep on doing more and more work of the Lord. And some people are like, man, I do not want to do that. My family life will be messed up. My work life will be messed up. I don't know. Where's the balance in that verse? Where's the balance in that verse? All right. Well, check it out. Here's where it is. Back here to verse verse 10. It's the grace of God that enables us to do what God calls us to do. Recipe for burnout is, is one, doing what God doesn't call you to do. All right. First of all. You can think you're doing the work of the Lord and God didn't call you to do something. You're trying to do it. You're just wearing yourself out doing it. And God never told you to do it. So that's one recipe for burnout. Another recipe for burnout is trying to do God's will in your own strength. Oh, I can do this. I can do this. And, and what I mean by that is maybe you don't pray. You don't pray. You don't, you're not coming to the throne of grace, asking God consistently for grace and saying, God, I need you. Fill me, strengthen me, empower me to do this. You, I know you've called me to do this. I need your help to do this. So we can, one, for, like, do something that seems good, but it's not what God's called us to do and get weary and burnt out. Or we do his will, but we're doing it in our own strength and get weary. So listen to what Paul said in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I love this. Paul gave himself to the mission of God. Paul was an apostle. He was a missionary. He was a preacher. You know what? He was also a tent maker. He, he actually did physical labor with his hands. He wasn't just living off of offerings from everybody. Like he, he got down dirty and, and, and worked hard with his hands. There were times where he didn't receive uh, any, any financial support from the church because he didn't want to be a burden to the church. And he, he just wanted to, to, to let them know he's not in it for the money. He, he's in it for the kingdom of God, for the glory of God, and for the good of others. And so in this verse 29... This, this is similar to verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 15.10, this, this energy that powerfully works within me. In chapter in 15, verse 10, he describes it as grace. That's what that is. That, that power, that energy working in him, enabling him to be who God had called him to be and do what he's called you to do. So as a Christian, how do we experience grace? What's, what, what, how, do we, how are we instructed to position ourselves for grace? God gives grace to who? The humble. We humble ourselves. We, we acknowledge that we, we need God. We, we put the sails up, so to speak, like a sailboat. We put the sails up and we humble ourselves and we come to God in prayer and we ask for his help. We come boldly before his throne of grace that we might find mercy and grace to help us. 
and our time of need. There is grace for you, Christian, to be who he's called you to be and do what he's called you to do. God's called us to do some stuff that we can't do ourselves. That's just Christianity. God called people, his people, to do things that we can't do in our own strength. That, that's all throughout the Bible. God called men and women to do things they couldn't do themselves. And that's the whole point. We're partnering with God. He calls us in to this meaningful work. And we're partnering in with what he's doing. And you know what? He's pulling all the weight. He's pulling all the weight. You know, it's, it's like... Um, like my son or daughter when they help me out when I'm doing some some kind of job around the house they they love to help daddy out you know let me can I use the drill daddy can I put that screw in there sure I'll let you and 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 so it 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 makes my children feel like they're really accomplishing some stuff but they're actually making it harder (laughs) oftentimes But they're there doing it with daddy and they're like we did it you know we did look what we did mommy you know and, you know, God's, God the Father, He's the one pulling the weight. He's the one doing all the work. We're just, we get to be with Him in this. And He's working. He's working in people's lives. And we get to show up and be a part of what He's doing. Share the gospel message with people. Pray with people. Serve and meet a very basic, practical need. Bring a meal to somebody. Or, or share an encouraging word with somebody. And, and we're just, we're just the, like the mailman. You know, we're, we're God's UPS peeps you know we show up we just deliver the package you know god it's it's god's gift and and it's just flowing through us and so this i think this will be key for us as we focus in on doing the work of the lord i think we need to know that all we do should be based on the gospel message okay we should be pointing people back to jesus and, and who he is and what he's done and all that we do should be motivated and loved. This is freeing. When you let your work be done out of motivation and love, it frees you up to not be self-conscious and self-focused. This is good for our worship team. This is good for anything, anything you're doing in front of people. Uh, there are times when I have, in, in preaching or speaking, have felt nervous. And oftentimes God brings me back to John chapter 20, where Jesus told Peter, he said, do you love me? Feed my sheep. You know, and it's like God just, he, he directs the focus off of us. It's not about us. It's about him. And then it's about serving and blessing other people. That's what the labor of the Lord is, the work of the Lord. So we want to give ourselves fully to that. We, the gospel is the basis for doing the work of the Lord, it's the foundation. The love of God is the fuel. It's the motivation. And the grace of God is the energizer. It's what energizes us and enables us to be who God's called us to be and do what he's called us to do. Notice what Paul says here in 10. He says, I am what I am by the grace of God. Paul wasn't a self-made man who pulled himself up by, pulled himself up by his bootstraps. You just got to gut it up, man. Come on. That's not the kind of Christianity that Paul lived. It, it, he, was, he was a broken man. He was a, depend, he was a humble man dependent upon the grace of God. He realized he couldn't do it. He, he must have knew the truth that Jesus taught in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is key. This will free us up. This will free us up to, one, to not foolishly try to do God's work in our own strength. And then this will free us up from pride whenever we do 
accomplish something or we see some fruit or we're successful, this will help us remain humble. The grace of God will humble us when we're fruitful and successful. Okay, we need to be reminded. This will help keep us humble. But then it'll also encourage us when we just feel so weak and so broken and, and like we just can't do it. The grace of God will help us, encourage us in that. Amen. This is life-giving for me. This is, this is a message that God has brought me back to over and over and over again. So where does rest come in here? You know, like I said earlier, this, this message kind of sounds imbalanced. Like, what about rest? Okay, there is one day of rest that God tells us to rest, right? Take one day, at least one day. And you know what? When you, pro- when you learn to have proper weekly rhythms of rest, you'll actually be more effective and fruitful in abounding in the work of the Lord. It, you, you do things God's way and, and you'll be more fruitful and more effective abounding in the work of the Lord. And that's where we can experience his grace in those times of rest where we, we come back to him. And, you know, even Jesus slept, right? There was a time where Jesus was on the boat and he's sleeping. There's a time when the most spiritual thing that you can do is, is sleep. Okay, Jesus did it, right? Okay, but he was always abounding in the work of the Lord. He was all about doing what the Father had called him to do, like the Apostle Paul was. Okay, so let's look, let's look a little bit more at what is the work of the Lord, because I want this to be practical to everybody here. Because I think uh, uh, hearing a, a message like this and a verse like this, I think what happens often is, is people in their minds, Christians in their mind, they think, well, that's, that's for the pastor, that's for the missionary. That's for those who have a full-time job doing Christian ministry. But I just want to remind you, the, Christian, the Corinthian church, people had jobs in the Corinthian church, okay? People had jobs. There were stay-at-home moms in the, in the Corinthian church. There were, there were kids. There, you know, there, were, there were families doing life just like we're here doing life. And we all have, you know, different things going on and different family dynamics and different job situations and, and different limitations. And so this verse isn't just for Pastor Timothy, Paul writing Pastor Timothy. This is for the Christian church. Okay? So what is the work of the Lord? I, I should have blanked those out. What is the work of the Lord? I think first, I think in Paul's mind for him, when, when, he, when he thinks about and talks about the work of the Lord, as we just looked at Colossians 1, gospel proclamation was the work of the Lord for him. Okay? And, and in that context of 1 Corinthians 15, he was preaching the gospel. And by the way, gospel proclamation isn't just for the pastor, isn't just for the missionary or the apostle. It's for every Christian. Every Christian can share the gospel. This doesn't have to happen through a presentation. This can happen through a conversation with somebody. You don't have to scream. You don't have to even raise your voice. You can, you can softly evangelize and proclaim the gospel in a loving way. Moms, while you're at the park with your kids, you can engage. Uh, you know, we got Time to Revive has these little bracelets and these Bibles that they give out. And they just have a real simple way of sharing the gospel, presenting the gospel with folks. And uh, it's just taking folks through this, this little bracelet here, uh, the, the Romans road that, you know, the, the, the yellow represents sin, how we've all sinned against God. Uh, the black, Romans 6.23, death, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The red represents love. God demonstrated his love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The blue represents faith. Uh, by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. 
The green represents life, eternal life. That if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so there's just this simple way of sharing the gospel with folks. And you give them the bracelet and you, uh, you start off saying, hey, can I pray for you? you? You walk up to somebody and you say, hey, can I pray for you? And so there are churches, over 344 churches all across the DFW, uh, across the Metroplex, engaging in this. They're getting trained. So Monday through Thursday, they're getting trained in every region. They're getting trained to share the gospel with people. And then they're going out in the mornings. They're going out in the afternoons and sharing the gospel. Uh, This Saturday at Reach, we have an opportunity to partner with CCI Dallas and evangelize in in Old East Dallas area. And and so they they need laborers there. This is fun, by the way. I know for many folks, gospel proclamation, evangelism is terrifying and, and like way out of your comfort zone. But I tell you what, this is so fun when you see God working in people's life. You show up and somebody, there's been a grandma or a mom praying for a guy or a girl and, and they're like right ready to give their life to Jesus. And all you do is say, hey, can I pray for you? For anything, and they just start crying, you know. Or, or you know, we're, just yesterday there were there were two people sitting out in front of the church there, and, and they were they were just in a, in a posture. Daniel and I uh, met them. They were just in a posture of they were just ready to for to somebody to come and minister the love of Christ to them, and, and we prayed. So gospel proclamation, I think that is definitely the work of the Lord. Um, I I wouldn't limit that the work of the Lord to just evangelism, though. I think this can be very broad when we talk about the work of the Lord. I think, you know, in the context of First Corinthians, serving the body of Christ with the gifts that God has given you. That's the work of the Lord. Okay. Building up, folks. So if your spiritual gifting is, is, is serving, serving. You know, if your spiritual gift is, is some kind of speaking gift, you speak. And just whatever you, whatever, however God has wired you, you use that gifting to serve other people. Now, if, you, if you're here and you don't know what your gifts are, you know what? See a need and try to meet it in any way you can. And I tell you what, your gifts will come. It'll become more and more evident as you just try to love people in whatever way you can love and help and serve people and talk to people. And it'll just come out. I think you will discover your, your spiritual gift as you just try to serve people and love people. That's been my testimony. That's how I've discovered how God has wired me. Okay, the, another thing. The work of the Lord is discipleship. Kevin talked about this a couple weeks ago. The Apostle Paul gave himself this. Paul was a church planner, and he was discipling folks. He, he was involved in their lives. He was checking up on them. He was uh, sending letters to talk to them, to communicate to them, like, hey, get your act together, guys, because I hear it's crazy at your church right now. And so Paul was discipling folks. Jesus commanded that. Go make disciples. Jesus did that. Who are you discipling? Or is there somebody that God wants you to start discipling? Is there somebody who, who, who maybe is a new Christian and, and they need another brother or sister to come alongside of them and invest in their lives and, and, and pray for them and encourage them and, and just show them the way? Uh, discipleship. And another, another one is prayer. Colossians 4.12, Paul talks about this guy, Epaphras, who was laboring for the Colossians in prayer. Prayer can be hard work, by the way. That's why when there's a prayer meeting, not a lot of folks show up. Or when there's evangelism meeting, not a lot of folks show up. Because prayer is work. 
I mean, if there's, there's, especially when you're praying for other people, especially when it's intercession and you're, you're not just praying for you to your, your needs, you know, for the bills and stuff for you. Like that can be kind of easy. Like when you're up against the wall, like God help me, I need your help. But, but actually committing a, a chunk of your time to intentionally pray for other people. That's just work. That's labor. It's called intercession. Jesus did that. Paul did that. He prayed for these churches. He was always praying for these churches. And then fill in the blank. Okay? The work of the Lord is... What is the work of the Lord? Fill in the blank. Anybody? Here's my definition. So this is my shot at it. I didn't get this from a book or commentary, but I just took a stab at it. The work of the Lord is doing God's will, which is revealed in Scripture, following His way... With the guiding of the Spirit, all for His glory and for the good of others. I'll say it again. The work of the Lord is doing God's will, which is revealed in Scripture, following His way with the guidance of the Spirit, all for His glory and for the good of others. I think that's a a decent definition or description of what the work of the Lord is. And whatever we're doing that's not motivated by love and energized by grace, it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble that's going to be burned up. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul told the Corinthians that their, their work is going to be judged. And the last part of this verse says, your labor is not in vain. So be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. So there's, there's really, there's a couple exhortations in this, in this verse. Be steadfast. Don't be moved. Okay. Be, be grounded on what? The gospel. Okay. Jesus is risen. You're going to rise. Don't let anybody fool you and try to tell you there's no resurrection because there is. Jesus was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses. And his followers contain the power of the resurrected Christ, his spirit living within them. And they radically change things or God did through them. And so there's there's plenty of evidence for the resurrection. Steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing this. This is a perspective that we need to have if we're going to do this. This is some this is something we need to know. And this is something we might struggle with to really believe. Does this really matter? What I'm doing here. Missionaries who are on the mission field serving overseas and, and it's hard and it's, it's, it's mundane and it's, it's a struggle and they're trying to learn a language. It's hard. They, they feel like this at times. Is this even worth it? Okay. Pastors feel like this sometimes. Christians feel like this sometimes. Is, is this even worth it? Now, Paul said if there's no resurrection, it, w- it would be in vain. We would be the most pitiful people on the face of the earth. But it's not in vain. Christian, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your faithfulness to God and your steadfastness in following Him and serving Him is not in vain. Why? One, because of the resurrection. Jesus is risen and He's going to raise us up with Him. This life isn't, isn't it. Okay, This isn't all there is to our existence. We will live forever with Jesus. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. This isn't it. Now, if this was it, if it was just, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years, have your kids, you know, retire, you know, and that's it. Life is over. That's it. You just, Paul says, you know, we just eat, drink and die, you know, be merry and die, you know, because this is it. Live it up while you can. 
You know, you don't got to worry about living holy or anything. You just live it up while you can. But this is not it. There's more. There's there's something after this and it should motivate us and move us. It should help us to be faithful, abounding in the work of the Lord, because there's a resurrection and there are rewards. There are rewards in heaven. Now, this is important to believe. I some Christians will minimize the value of rewards or maybe would say, well, if you're motivated by reward, it's, it's not a legitimate motivation. But one of the things that Hebrews 11 verse 6 says that we have to believe about God even when we come to him is one that he's God. OK, y'all help me finish this, that he is without faith. It's impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so we have to believe this about God, that he is a rewarder. He rewards faithfulness. And one of the greatest rewards that I long for and look forward to is hearing from the lips of Jesus and seeing his face and his eyes and hearing him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I long to hear from Jesus. I don't know about you, but can, can you just picture for a moment just that you're standing before Jesus. Your life is over. You pass from this life to the next and you're standing before Jesus. There's Jesus. You see his his wounds in his hands. You see his scars. He's smiling. He's bright. There's Jesus. When you when you ha- when you live with that perspective, okay, all this abounding in the work of the Lord, it becomes not a burdensome thing, but you're you're, you're going to be like, what else can I do? What else can I do to glorify God? What else can I do to serve people? What else can I do to make an impact in this world? I want to be able to say like Jesus at the very end of my life, I have glorified you here on earth. I have finished the work that you've given me to do. Don't you want that for your legacy? Don't you want that for your testimony to be able to say, God, I've accomplished the mission that you've put me here for. It's not in vain. It's worth it. So look at 1 Corinthians three ten through 15. Paul says this, according to the grace of God given to me, back to the grace, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it. Okay. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation for our labor. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will be manifest for the day will disclose it because it'll be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on, on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but as through fire. So this isn't a matter of salvation and working for your salvation. Okay. This is a matter upon what are you going to do upon the foundation of Jesus Christ with your life, with, with the time and the resources and everything that God has given you. What are you going to do with it? Now, if we do things out of selfish ambition and wrong motives, our work is going to be like wood, hay, and straw. And what happens to that under fire? It makes a good fire, okay? Roast some marshmallows with it. 
Okay. But that's it. It's gone. But if our labor is motivated by love, it's built on the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's energized by the grace of God, then it is like precious stones, gold and silver. And that will endure through some fire. And that will be rewarded. How many of y'all want that? You want to live your life like that to where there will be reward. When Jesus comes back in Revelation, it says that his reward is with him. He's coming back and his reward is with him. He is a rewarder. So how how can you connect your occupation with the work of the Lord? So I just want you to think about this because most of us. Most people in here are not in full-time Christian ministry, which, which one might equate with the work of the Lord. There has to be a way for those working a regular or a secular, quote, secular uh, nine-to-five job, there has to be a way to do the work of the Lord as a faithful Christian within that context. And I think there is. I think there is. So what does that look like? How do you connect being a truck driver with doing the work of the Lord? How do you connect being a stay-at-home mom and, and doing the work of the Lord? How do you connect being an engineer with doing the work of the Lord? Well, here's a few of the ways, few ways I think that, that you can make that connection and, and within and around the occupation that God has given you, you can also do God's work. Okay? Okay, one of the ways is that whatever you do, that you do it diligently and faithfully for God's glory. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Whatever you're doing, whatever, whatever your occupation is and whatever you're able to do vocationally, do it faithfully and diligently. Okay, if, if you're, if you're going to tell people you're a Christian, make sure that you have good service and, and good work and, and ethic that backs that up and says Jesus is good. All right, because of your good works, glorify him. Okay, um, serve others in the work. Serve others in in your work. Be generous with your gifts and your resources. So within the context of whatever occupation you have, try to serve your coworkers, your boss. Bless other people. Be thoughtful. Be mindful. Pray for people. Encourage people. Be a kind employee. Be be a, a person of integrity. Serve others. Be generous. And then share the gospel. Point others to Christ in your work and at your workplace. Be, be wise and shrewd, especially if your boss says don't. don't. Don't talk about Jesus here. You will lose your job. Well, if you do that, be, be very wise and shrewd how you point people to Jesus. Okay, There are some occupations that you will lose your job for, for talking about Jesus. I know a lot of school teachers aren't supposed to do that, but I, we have friends... <laughs> Uh, I know we have at least one here, and, and they find ways to do it. They wait for the kids to ask them, hey, teacher, what is, what is Easter all about? It's, that's like a spike, volleyball spike for a teacher, for a Christian teacher. Teacher, what is, is it about Easter, Bunny? What is, what's the meaning of Easter, teacher? And just tell them, tell them what the meaning of Easter is. It's about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what Christians celebrate. Teacher, what's Christmas all about? Is it about Santa and reindeers or... Tell them it's about the birth of Jesus. We remember Jesus coming to earth to save us. And so there are creative ways that we can, within secular, quote, secular jobs, share our faith. And we can connect our faith 
with the labor of the Lord. But we can also do our work, our, our vocational jobs, and not do any work for God. Actually, a lot of folks have, have invested so much in hobbies and leisure time that they hobby themselves out of the work of the Lord. They hobby. Don't hobby yourself out of the work of the Lord. Don't give up the work of the Lord just so you can go enjoy your hobbies that have nothing to do with the work of the Lord. All right? Don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. Amen? The time you and I have been given is precious. So last thing here. Here's, here's three applications. And worship team, if you want to come on up. Know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Know this. Be convinced that what you're doing with God, in God, for God, that it's not in vain. God sees it and he will reward it. You're going to see fruit. You're going to see an impact. It, it may be on the other side of glory, but it's going to be worth it. You're going you're gonna to think this was worth it when you see Jesus. Lean upon God's grace to enable you to do the work of the Lord. Don't try to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and I can do this. Come to God in prayer. Ask God for help. He wants to help you. He wants to help you more than you want his help. But he's waiting for you to ask so you can experience that grace. He's waiting for you to humble yourself so you you can experience that grace. And then let love motivate you in your service for others. Amen? So let's be a people who are steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our labor in Him is not in vain. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You that You have ordained good works for Your people to do. And Your Scripture says, Your Word says that Even before the foundation of the world, God, you have uh, prepared good works for us to do. We are your worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus, created for good works. And God, I pray that we would abound in those good works.